and greetings in the Master's name. The uh, title of the sermon this morning is Fire Falls on the Sacrifice. And so we'll go to 1 Kings uh, 16, 17, 18 uh, about Elijah on Mount Carmel. But the reason my mind went to this subject is because uh, we uh, have a desire, a concern that we are here in the most densely populated part of Harrisonburg and uh, we want to be a light, we want to reach out, we want to touch lives. And how does that happen? We had our prayer meeting last Sunday evening, and that's a key part of it. But anyway, fire falls on the sacrifice. So in 1 Kings 16, 31, get a little background. 1 Kings 16, 31 I just part of it, to me this is sort of interesting part of the whole situation with Elijah. It came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him, that's Ahab, to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of Z the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. So the Zidonians, uh, or Sidon, Tyre and Sidon, the Phoenicians, was uh, just... Um, on the Mediterranean coast, on the east side of uh, Israel, uh, yeah, Palestine or whatever, a little bit, maybe just a little bit north and east. And so they joined, and they were kind of neighbor countries. Uh, but anyway, he married this this uh, heathen king's daughter, and um, so that that's where that comes in. Now, in chapter 17, verse 1, and as somehow Elijah had this... Um, Assignment, maybe, leading from God uh, about because of their sin, God, I think, brought this on them. But anyway, it says, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So a lot of us are familiar with that, that story. And, uh, and so, um, so God told, so then after, after, uh, Elijah had, uh, told Ahab, this is what's coming, um, God told Elijah it was time to get out of there for the time being. So he said, you know, you go stay by this brook and I'll take care of you. Well, anyway, he did. The ravens bought him food and he had water to drink, but the brook dried up. I mean, after a while, if it don't rain, the streams dry up, especially three and a half years. But anyway, this wasn't near into the three and a half years yet. So then whenever he said, okay, now you go to, uh, okay, let's start reading here in verse 8. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, get to the to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon. Now, you know, that's where Jezebel was from. And dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. 
And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal and a barrel and a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. That was a marvelous thing. Uh, <coughs> and so Elijah, he was blessed there, and God took care of him. Now, there's things in the Bible that are sort of, it, it makes you stop and think and you wonder. You see, God told Elijah, he said, I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Well, did she know it? <laughs> I mean, you know, he goes there. Now, the Lord said, I command her to sustain thee. But when Elijah shows up and says, you know, I want, I want you to give me the first one. Well, anyway, he talks to her, you know, and she says, well, we're going to fix this and die. Well, that doesn't sound like she had a very clear word from the Lord. But anyway, be that as it may, some things we just don't understand. But anyway, so that's the way the Lord took care of Elijah during all that drought. Now, you know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How many of you have ever heard the story when Grandma banged the barrel? Now, one time, I think many years ago at the Berean meetings, I, see, I don't know if you were, I think I heard a man tell it. Anyway, he was a storyteller, but he told this story. It was a true story, and I think it was during the times of the Depression. And so, it must have been his grandma, and things were getting pretty desperate, and they were out of flour. And so, anyway, she was banging the barrel to, you know, shake out the last little bit of flour and scoop it up. And somehow... I don't remember the details. But anyway, whether the Lord impressed on her or whether she just thought, I'll keep it this or what. Anyway, every day she would bang the barrel and there'd flour come out enough. And this went on for a good while when Grandma banged the barrel. Same thing as what happened with Elijah. So that was just in, during the Depression. So it wasn't back in the times of Elijah. Okay, so... Now, what's interesting, God told him to go to Sidon, which was neighboring. That's where Jezebel was from. Doesn't seem a very likely place to go if you're going to hide from her. But, um, well, we could, I'll just turn to Luke right quick and, and read what it says there in Luke 4. It says, um, it's verses 25 and 26. I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months when the great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Zarephath, a city of Sidon, who, of Sidon unto a woman that was a widow. So, and, and I, it's right in here, I think when Elijah comes back and he meets this, um, he meets one of the prophets and he says, you go tell Ahab that I'm going to talk to him today. And the prophet says, oh, please uh, spare my life because uh, when I tell Ahab that, the Lord will take you away somewhere else and you won't show up and it'll be on me. And he says, there's not a country where Ahab didn't send and say, do you have Elijah? It's kind of like a, 
kind of like um, what's that there um, international police organization, Interpol or something, you know, the, the, the nations, they, they work together when there's a real bad criminal they want. And uh, so, he, so Ahab, he had sent to all the nations and he said, you promised me that you don't have Elijah. Well, Elijah was hiding next door. God had hit him next door. That's kind of interesting. Uh, so anyway, um, so, we, uh, the, so then in chapter 18, verse 1, it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And then in James, we have that verse about how Elijah was a man subject to like passions. He prayed it wouldn't rain, it didn't rain, and then he prayed and the rain came. Um, so now, going to verses 17 to 25, it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered and said, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? The Lord be God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood put no fire under it, and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under it, and call you on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one of the bullocks and dress it, for ye are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So we, we know that story fairly well. Um, and so, you know, they called and they called, and of course nothing happened. So then Elijah had all the water, all the water, he had the altar saturated, soaked with water. Now, fire falls on the sacrifice. Elijah was, he was totally helpless in this situation. The sacrifice, the whole altar, everything was covered with water. There's no fire. So fire falls on the sacrifice. He was he was vulnerable. There's nothing he could do. He called on the Lord, and the Lord sent the fire. But he was putting himself on the line. And so that's sort of the thrust here. Fire falls on the sacrifice. And we could look at many other situations. I was thinking about Abraham. God told him, I'm going to make a nation out of you that's more than the stars of the heaven, more than the sands of the sea, and he gave him one son. And then when the boy was, what, maybe a teenager, he said, sacrifice your son. And, you know, Abraham told his son, God will provide himself. How was that? Uh, that's in chapter, that's Genesis 22. Um, 20, 22 verse 8 yes and Abraham said my son God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering so they 
they went both of them together. So we know how it was, you know, Abraham was following through and then God said stop. He caught, and there was a ram caught in the thicket and he offered that. But uh, let me see where this is. Um, okay, it's verse 14. <clears throat> Abraham took, Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Well, that's what we call Mount Moriah, but he called it Jehovah Jireh. And Easton's Bible Dictionary said it this way, uh, that Jehovah Jireh means Jehovah will provide. Jehovah will see, that is, will provide, the name given by Abraham to the scene of his offering up the ram, which was caught in the thicket of Mount Moriah. The expression used in Genesis 22:14, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen, has been regarded as equivalent to the saying, Man's extremity is God's opportunity. Man's extremity is God's opportunity. Man's extremity. Moses suffered, well, he, ch he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of, of Egypt for a season. Pleasures of sin for a season. Joshua said, give me this mountain. Um... Gideon, I was just thinking about different instances in the Old Testament. Uh, Gideon had 300 men against an army of thousands and thousands. Now, in other words, I'm saying they were, they were in vulnerable, vulnerable positions. Uh, man's extremity is God's opportunity. Jonathan and the Philistines, when just the two of them went against that... Um, outpost and Jonathan said you know the Lord can save by by uh, many or few David and Goliath I think I'll turn to that one that's um, that's first Samuel 17 because some of the things that David said there I think are are noteworthy uh, and it's 17 and it's verse 26. What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Well, then his brother said, Hey, what are you doing, you little brother? And David said, Is there not a cause? And then when he went out to meet Goliath, and Goliath said, I'm going to feed you to the birds, um, David said to Goliath, let's see, where is that? Um, David said to the Philistine, verse 45, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. So he was doing this for God's glory. Well, we don't, we don't go out and kill those who defy God, but our battles are spiritual battles. Um, I want to go to John 5. This is switching gears a little bit, but um, thinking about fire falls on the sacrifice, thinking about man's extremity is God's opportunity. Uh, in John 5, <clears throat> we have the healing at the pool. I'm not going to read all this, 
but it it's, uh, was a situation there um, where the Bible says an angel came down and troubled the water, stirred up the water, and the first person that got in the water after that was healed. That's the way God did it. And, and Jesus came by, and he saw somebody that had been lame for 38 years. And he asked the man, he asked the man in verse 6, he said, Wilt thou be made whole? That was the question. Do you want to be well? And the man said, I don't have anybody put me in the water. He said, you know, when the water gets stirred up, somebody else always beats me to it. And Jesus said, get up and walk. See, Jesus said, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well? But man didn't answer that question. He was thinking along a different line. And we're pretty much that way. We kind of have things figured out how God can help us. And God may have something entirely different in mind. So I, I, I see this as real ordinary. That's the way life is. And the way we are. So, so how does it relate to firefalls on the sacrifice? It's kind of like Letting God be God, I guess. Well, I want to read you uh, some testimonies that I, it was, this was quite a, a number of years ago from some students in Igo. And um, after they had been touched or impressed with some of the things they were exposed to. In the pale face of a starving mother who gives her morsels to her children, in the sunken eyes of a dying child lying alone in an African hut, in the helpless cry of a small babe raised to be sacrificed to a stone idol, in the deformed body of a crippled girl begging food for food in the streets of Bangkok, in the feeble weeping of an old woman burying her only son in the Sahara sands, in the hopeless eyes of a soul passing from life to eternal death, I see Jesus. A uh, young fellow wrote, How can I explain what I felt? My heart was pounding. I was breathing hard. I was just plain disgusted at how I'd lived my life until now. What a waste, spending my money on food I did not need, clothes I did not need, playing around with the guys on Xbox or whatever. I am ready to go. What Isaiah said stuck out like crazy. Here am I, send me. I long for that willingness. I want a vision. I need a vision. And this was yet another person. Lord, give me a vision for the people of the world. Not just a feeling of sadness because they're going to hell, but a burning, crying pain in my heart that won't allow me to sit still any longer. And another student. God, I want this vision. I don't want to live a mediocre life. I want to be here for you to use. But with vision comes tears, pain, 
and helplessness. God, I come to the end of myself. There is absolutely nothing in me by myself that is worth taking to the world. It is you. Please use me. And that's pretty close to what we were talking about this morning, self-denial. With vision comes tears, pain, and helplessness. God, I come to the end of myself. Philippians 1.20 According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And someone wrote this. I don't quite know where I got this. God calls us to the mystery of vulnerable trust. So often we get drawn into the discussion, what if this happens? We don't know all the answers to the what ifs, but we know God is good. We struggle with choosing vulnerability rather than struggling for security. In other words, Mostly we're grasping for security and what that is saying that we ought to struggle for vulnerability. Some examples. Did anybody here ever read Peace Child? It's, it's an older book, Peace Child. It was about a, it was about a missionary in uh, New Guinea, I don't know if it's Papua New Guinea or the other side of the island. But he was among the Sawi, S-A-W-I, Sawi tribe. And he was trying to teach him the gospel. And when he told him the stories and he told him about Judas, oh man, they just thought Judas was the greatest guy because part of their culture was to trick the other tribes, to trick them trick them and they thought boy Judas really pulled it off well that just left him where where do you go from there well the tribes were always fighting each other and uh, he finally got to the point where he said you know I can't I can't function here if you're all going to always just be fighting each other you know I'm going to up and leave well they didn't want him to leave because they liked these stories I reckon and they and they liked his gifts the things he could bring them and so they decided they're going to make peace. And they had this thing in their culture called a peace child, where one tribe took a baby from their tribe and gave it to the other tribe. And that was the peace child. And that other tribe was to take care. I mean, you took care of that peace child. Well, that gave him an opening. And he told them that Jesus was the peace child and Judas betrayed the peace child. Well, now that meant something different to him. But um, I read this recently, I think not too long ago. Although this declaration of the peace child Jesus to the Solway created a renewed interest in his message, conversion still did not come easily. It was not until their canoe or their dugout capsized and one of his sons nearly drowned that the Sawi began to believe the gospel. A Sawi elder, Hato, stated that he was persuaded to believe by the peace he perceived in dawn during the near tragic event. Well, that was there probably back in, I don't know what, 50s or before 60s maybe. A more recent one. 
in an Anabaptist setting. Joe and Ruth and Miller were in Romania under the Bethel Fellowship. And when they went over there, at first they had to go as tourists. Couldn't get, uh, they couldn't go as missionaries. They had to only go as tourists. Well, they were helping a gypsy boy that got burned real bad. And from him, they got hepatitis. She got an acute case. He got a chronic case. And she kept declining. He finally carried her to the car to take her to the hospital, not knowing if he'd bring her back. Well, she did recover. At the same time, because they were there as tourists and, and they were not allowed to legally own anything, they had their house, their car, and their bank account in the name of a young man who was showing real spiritual interest. After six months, he cleaned out their bank account, took their vehicle, and was trying to extort him, threatening to take their house. After all this, when the community saw how they handled that, they became open to the gospel. Fire falls on the sacrifice. Do we want sacrifices in our lives? See, we're interested in reaching out to Harrisonburg. We don't quite know how to do it for the doors to open. God probably has a way. Do we want the cost of what it might be. Fire falls on the sacrifice. Um, so another, okay, just a couple more examples. Uh, Herbert Grings, married a woman, I think she had been serving on an Indian reservation. This is early 1900s. They went to Africa. I think they were married about 1918. She died in 1936 of the black fever in Africa. If they would have had, in other words, it's not something that was fatal if they would have had the sufficient medical care, but uh, proper medical care wasn't available too far away, whatever. She died. That left him with five children from the ages of five to 16. His mission board said, bring the children home, come home. He laid their letters out in front of the family and said, what do we do? Every one of them, from 5 to 16, said, we're staying because his wife's death had softened the hearts of the people. And for the next so many years, he took his five children, went out into the bush, stayed at the village for two weeks or more, preaching and praying and whatever, and would move from village to village, and there was a great harvest. But what did it cost? What did it cost? We could go to Adonai and Judson. We could go to well, lots, of, lots of them. We just won't take time for all that. I think I'll give you one more yet. And actually, I was saying in Sunday school, I want to email you all some information about this lady. The lady that I did the story about the little girl that prayed for the hot water bottle. Marvelous story how God provided but some of the other things in her life were very, very difficult. Uh, I'll just read some here. But I want to email you more information about it. To me, it's just tremendously challenging. Uh, and it's all about what our lesson was this morning, self-denial. 
She enrolled in UM College at Cambridge University to study medicine. There she joined the Cambridge Intercollegiate Christian Union through the invitation of a student named Dorothy, became an active participant, uh, and eventually became, well, she had a lot of head knowledge. She had head knowledge of Christianity, but not heart. In the winter of 1945, the Lord seemed to meet her in a personal way during a student retreat. She gave her testimony on the final inning, and Bible teacher Graham Scroge wrote Philippians 3.10 in her new Bible and told her, by the way, what is Philippians 3.10? Uh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. I think that's what it is. Okay, and so um, um, so her this Bible teacher wrote this in, in her Bible. Tonight you've entered into the first part of the verse that I may know him. This is only the beginning, and there's a long journey ahead. My prayer for you is that you will go on through the verse to know the power of his resurrection and also, God willing, one day perhaps the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And then if you find her life story, it's just phenomenal what she went through and she found that, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. After completing her studies, Rosevierre applied to be a medical missionary. In 1953, she went to Congo. She was assigned to the Northeast Provinces. She built a combination hospital training center in the early 1950s and relocated to another city, living in an old leprosy camp where she built another hospital. After conflict with other staff at the hospital, she returned to England in 1958. She returned to the Congo in 1960. In 1964, she was taken prisoner by rebel forces. and She remained a prisoner for five months and during beatings and rapes. She left the Congo and headed back to England after release, but returned to the Congo in 1966 to assist in the rebuilding of the nation. She helped establish a new medical school and hospital as the other hospitals that she built had been destroyed and served there until 1973. After her return from Africa, she had a worldwide ministry speaking and writing. Her touching story about the prayer of Ruth, 10-year-old African girl for a hot water bottle to save a premature newborn baby after his mother died has been widely forwarded by email. She survived rape and trial during the Congolese Civil War in 1964 because of the intervention of the, in, the villagers she had helped previously. She died December 7, 19, 2016, aged 91 in Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland. Okay, this is one thing she said among many other things. God never uses a person greatly until he has wounded him deeply. God, the privilege he offers you is greater than the price you have to pay. The privilege is greater than the price. And I'll close with 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Let's kneel for prayer.